name's Charlie. Uh, if I don't know you, uh, I have been one of the, the pastors of Missio Tempe, and now get to join in with you as this family, as we get to come together. I wanted to tell you three stories to start from my life. Uh, don't worry, they're going to be short. Uh, the first one is that I grew up in the suburb of suburbs of Mesa. And there's a phrase maybe you've heard before, you can take the kid out of the suburb, but you can't take the suburb out of the kid, or something like that. Now, my mom's here, and she did an awesome job, even living in the most suburb of suburbs, to expose and give uh, pictures of what it looks like for what most people live like. But I still lived in the suburbs. And I remember uh, when you live maybe that far out, you imagine everybody lives like you. Everybody has your same experience. But I was 17 or 18, and I got to go on this trip to Eastern Europe in a post-Soviet country. And I remember being around a campfire at a camp, very nostalgic kind of setting. And we were singing How Great Is Our God, the great Chris Tomlin song, in three languages, Russian, Latvian, and English. And literally my mind was blown. Like, oh, there's actually people around the world that live different than me that know the same God. Crazy. For the last uh, five years, my missional community, Missio community, has served faithfully uh, with iHelp. iHelp is a transitionary program that helps those that are on the streets currently, that don't have a home, uh, to find housing and jobs and uh, the resources they need. And I had a lot of stereotypes about homeless folks, honestly, if I'm going to be really honest with you of why people ended up homeless, what people's, homeless people's experience was. And I've watched story after story, conversation after conversation, my mind being blown. Like uh, the series of events that happened for many people of a family member passing, uh, living check to check, uh, their rent going sky high, and now they find themselves in the most embarrassing of situations, homeless. Like I had a paradigm shift. Last story, our, uh, Keaton and I's third child, his name is Henry, and 24 hours after he was born, we got the news that he has Down syndrome. It was a surprise. Uh, we found out in the most uh, sterile of ways, in many ways. And through that experience of having a child with a disability, my eyes see differently. Uh, we were at a... Um, a uh, Mother's Day uh, breakfast this morning, and there was a family there that had a child with Down syndrome born on the same day in the same hospital. Like, mind blown how God orchestrates these things together. But the whole disability sphere and space has opened me up to different ways I never saw before. I've been surprised by God. That's the theme. Being surprised by God over and over again in unexpected ways and this afternoon, I want us to look at a story of Peter, as we walk through his life, being surprised by God, having a paradigm shift, having God do something that was unexpected, and, and then to think, how did he get to that experience? How might that be impl and implicated or implicate us as God's people as well? If you have a Bible, would you turn to Acts chapter 10? Acts chapter 10, it's a story of Peter and Cornelius. Peter and Cornelius, my hope is for us as a church, as a maturing church, to have fresh eyes to see and fresh ears to hear and then to respond tonight in loving obedience to wherever, whoever, 
or whatever Jesus is inviting us into. Acts chapter 10. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through the story all at once. It's a long story. I'm going to read kind of fast. I want you, as I'm reading through the story, to ask a simple question to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to see from this passage? Is there a phrase? Is there a moment in the story? What do you want me to see? Because after I read it, I'm going to have you get with groups, with people around you, and just the first, what's your first flinch? This is a living story. God's word is living. It's not just a story that happened back long ago, but it has implications for our lives now as we're listening. God wants to get you your attention. He wants to surprise you in some way. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1 says this, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9. About noon the following day as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up and onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, uh, told him if this is a voice God says to you, maybe question it a little bit more than Peter does. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Verse 16, this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found, about, found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon was known as Peter was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask, uh, told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guest. As Peter entered the house, excuse me, the next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers went from Joppa along and the following day he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he called together his relatives and close friends. Verse 25, as Peter entered the house of Cornelius, or Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He said, stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? 
And then Cornelius uh, tells him why, what happened. Go to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea and beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For heard them, they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is God's word. I would love for you to turn to some people around you. You just heard about 40 plus verses. A long story of an encounter that Peter and Cornelius have, that God surprises them with, particularly Peter. And here's the question. What detail or moment from this story is Jesus trying to get your attention with? So turn to some people around you. As you heard it through this first time, what did you notice what is God trying to say to you this afternoon? Ready, set, go. All right. I would love to hear just a couple different responses from some of the conversations you've had in your group. I'll bring the mic to you if you'd be so bold. What did you notice? Hello. Um, I, I just thought it was an interesting thing. It said that Cornelius was a devout man. It didn't say that he, like he wasn't a Jewish convert. He wasn't anything. He was a Roman. He was just a man living within his society, but he was still a man who served God. So I just... Yeah. Who else? I was just thinking while you were while you were reading it, I pulled up the message because sometimes I like to compare. Um, and in the beginning, when it described Cornelius, like what Joseph was saying, I think that was Joseph. Uh, he was a thoroughly good man. He led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God. Was always helping people in need and had the habit of prayer. And um, that description stuck out to me because I was thinking about our um, missio communities, like. That would be a great description for all of us to do that um, and what faithfulness looks like. You needed some exercise today. Um, I was just 
struck with like don't call um, unclean what God has made clean. Um, just the temptation of us to want to judge or have an opinion um, about all the like good things that God has created. He created them good. Um, I really liked the part uh, describing Simon the Tanner and how Peter stayed in his home. Of um, I just think it's a really beautiful picture that every minor character, like God mentions and calls by name, um, especially like me and my personality. Like I, I know that I'm not a Peter, and oftentimes like that's what we focus on. But like Simon the Tanner had to be there and offer up his home in order for Peter to give a really good word um, for people to hear. I'm uh, thinking too, like this, um, it's not just like an isolated story. Um, Jesus talked about how at the end of John that there's the, his sheep know his voice and that they listen to him and that there's other sheep that are not around us right now, meaning not just in the people of Israel. Like there's people that we now see like Cornelius that are meant to hear and know his voice. Um, so thinking about, like I said, it was, this isn't just like an isolated incident with Peter. It's Jesus had this in mind how long ago. So, Anyone else? Something that stood out to me is that Peter is invited to, to a certain man's home, but this home was filled not just with him and his family, but a crowd of people. So it just, I feel like God is reminding me through this that like there are crowds of people wanting to hear good news. And we see a masterclass example in the following verses of what, how to contextualize the good news. And I think the invitation for us is to uh, spend lots of time considering how is the gospel good news for people-specific scenarios and um, contexts? One more. You want, we, can, we can fight. <laughs> okay. Um, I was just looking at a couple different translations, and uh, verse 15, a translation popped up where uh, the voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And it's interesting, the, it's the cleansing that makes uh, him uncommon. And I'm, I'm wondering, is the, um, is the service, the acts of charity, is that evidence is that fruit of his cleansing or is that part of the cleansing I'm just wondering I don't know um, I just I noticed that for both Cornelius and Peter when they were initially called they weren't sure what they were being called to they were just being called to be faithful so for Peter he was called to follow three guys, and he didn't even know where he was going. And for Cornelius, he was called to bring Peter to him and had no idea what Peter was going to say. 
So I thought that was cool. This is why we do sharing, because right now God has been speaking. And all the insights that you just shared collectively are different uh, arenas, different pathways that God is trying to speak to us and call us in some form or way to obedience. Like we could stop right now and just go straight to the table with what the feast that's been prepared for us with what you shared. So thank you for sharing and listening to what God has to say. Let me give you a few other insights as well. Um, how many of you guys know what a DVD is? DVDs, do you guys remember those? Albany, do you remember? Uh, I, I remember I used to put a DVD you know, into a computer that had the CD-ROM in there. I got really upset when they took those out. So I got a lot of DVDs. But when you turn on a DVD, uh, you'd get like three options to watch the movie. Like one like in English, maybe one in a foreign language like Spanish or French. But then sometimes you'd have a third option, like the director's cut. Director's cut. Like, uh, and if you had a certain DVD, what they would do is they would, um, on like one side of the screen, they would have the movie playing, but then the directors would like be talking over the scene that's unfolding. Uh, they'd give you insight into like what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, okay, maybe you don't re resonate with that. How many of you guys have seen The Office? Okay. Uh, there's a podcast I hear of um, Pam and who else? Someone help me here. Angela. And they give like a behind the scenes take on each of the episodes. It's amazing. I've only listened to a couple of them. But they share all the insights and details that are happening. Why do I tell you all this? Well, that's what you basically just did even just in listening and just reading the passage for a couple of minutes. Let me just contribute that to that a little bit more. As I've done some study thinking about this passage and with some awesome voices from church history and from people that have spent a lot of time in Acts to give you a couple more details, like a director's cut of Acts chapter 10. The first thing I want, you to sh I want to show you is the word Joppa in verse 8. Joppa in verse 8. It's, places are really significant in the Bible. We miss that because places aren't very significant to us often. But you guys just spent a ton of time in the book of Jonah. What happened in Jonah? How does, how does Joppa connect here to that story? Anybody remember? Jonah's from? Yeah. What does he do from Joppa? It's a sea town. Or it's by the sea. He runs. He runs from God. He gets on a boat from Joppa and takes off. Isn't it beautiful that here there's a reversal that takes place? That a place where once was a symbol of people running from God, now missionaries are being sent to that place. As we were singing, this is the insight, and I'm, I'm a very scripted, prepared person, so I figure this might be helpful to share because it was not in my notes at all. But I wonder how many people in this room have places in your life that are maybe symbols of where you've run from God, that actually God wants to reverse and redeem to have places where you actually encounter God. Like how many places do we have that we drive by or look at and say either we've run from God or it's a place of shame and disappointment and frustration that God actually wants to do something with that. He wants to reverse course. 
He wants to do something like he does here with Peter and Cornelius. I want you to notice in the passage how they're going in each other's homes. That seems really simple to us because you guys share a lot of meals. Kevin just talked about that. But that wasn't normal in this context. These are Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are just basically non-Jewish people, the nations. And yet it says that uh, Peter welcomed them into his home. That's a big no-no in his story, his cultural story. But then more than that, it says that Peter went into Cornelius' home. Now he's like really out of bounds. He is crossing a boundary that he should not cross. That's what the gospel does in our lives. It has us cross boundaries that we would have for, for, uh, previously seen as off limits or God would never have us go there. And yet here, they're going back and forth and it, even after the, the believers are baptized, it says that Peter stayed with them for a couple of days. They became a family. They became a family. I want you to notice as well, uh, as Peter is leaving the house after he gets the dream and the vision, we like to focus that it was just Peter going by himself, but notice the detail. It says, men, and a men from Joppa went with him. Believers, we're sent together as a people. As we cross boundaries, as we go into places that are unexpected and we're going to be surprised by how God might show up, we, do never, we never go alone. We always are with a band of disciples, of missionaries, sent together for the sake of others. Notice uh, it says that uh, Cornelius fell at uh, Peter's feet. John Stott, who has spent a lot of time in the book of Acts and was one of the leading Christian voices of the 20th century, he says this, Peter refused both to be treated by Cornelius as if he were a god and to treat Cornelius as if he were a dog. The beauty and vision here is that no longer the racial and ethnic boundaries held weight where Jewish people would look upon Gentiles as dogs. And sorry, dogs in the ancient world were not like dogs today, like beautiful puppies that we see and want to hold. Dogs were seen as like the least of animals, disgusting, things you don't touch or go near. In, in many ways, Peter should treat Cornelius that way. And what does he do? It's reversal. He won't let him treat him like God but he will not treat Cornelius like a dog. How amazing is that? Let me just show you one more thing from the passage. It's in verse 44. Notice the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Earlier in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, the uh, Spirit came upon the first Christians that were huddled together in the home waiting for the Spirit to come. Well, now this is a filling of the Gentiles, those who were outside of that original circle, those who the sh know the shepherd's voice, but hadn't been, the stories hadn't been told yet. Uh, one commentator says, this is a day of Pentecost for the nations. And there might be folks in this room that have some form of Jewish heritage or Jewish background, but probably for the large majority of folks in this room, this is our day of Pentecost. Like, this is our day where the Spirit came upon us and then sent us out. That we often read ourselves into the story of the disciples, which is good. But we're actually more, I think, here with the story of Cornelius. So I'm going to ask you the same question. I won't have you turn back to your groups. But just, I'll give you some silence. As you've heard all these details from one another and from me, 
Like, what is, what is Jesus, and how is he inviting you to respond? What is he trying to say to you to get your attention with? What, what might he uh, want to do with this story in your life, in your community, in your family? Because it isn't just a story from the past. It speaks to us today. Here's the one thing I want you to see. And sermons usually have three good points. I just have one point. I just want to focus in on the story that prayer is the primary pathway to encounter God and love neighbor. Prayer is the primary pathway in this story how God moves and works in unexpected ways. This has been the theme in our church as a whole. We just had a training where all of your leaders, your Missio community leaders, gathered on Friday night around prayer. Prayer being the pathway in which we want to see God move in our midst, in our hearts and in our communities. And we see it here in Acts chapter 10. And I planned this passage because I'm a planner way ahead long before that training was ever put on the radar. So maybe God's trying to get our attention as a community with this theme of prayer. And there's three aspects of prayer I want you to see from the story. And so here's where the alliteration comes in. You have that prayer first is a, you want to have a setting, sensing, and sending. A setting, sensing, and sending. Let me make sense of those words. First is a setting. It says that uh, Cornelius was praying about three in the afternoon that time. We skip over that detail. I guess it's not important. But yet Cornelius was a God-fearing man, and that was a common type of time of prayer that every Jewish person would pray to Yahweh, to God. Cornelius was just doing the ordinary, mundane rhythms of having a setting with God in which he spent time in prayer. How about you? Like, yes, we pray as we go, and we can pray in the car, and we can pray during, in between meetings and moments and when we're frustrated with kids or trying to serve somebody, but do you have a setting, like a regular time that you just show up and expect God to speak? Cornelius did. And through this setting, he had a vision, and God spoke to him in an unexpected way. So setting. The second thing is sensing. This is my favorite part of the story. Did you notice what it says about Peter? It says, Peter was hungry. So then he went into a prayer, and then he fell into a trance, and then his prayer, or his trance and his vision was around food. So God took this hunger, this sense that Peter had, as a on-ramp to have him hear and see something about what, who God was and what he wanted to do. Here's my invitation for us. Not just a setting, but would you take your desires, whatever they are, whether it's hunger, loneliness, groaning, pain, and would you see those as on-ramps to actually that God wants to meet you in whatever that is? That actually instead of avoiding what those desires are, actually to see them as a pathway, as an on-ramp to actually God wanting to speak. Uh, there's a quote I've heard before, and this is where desires can be tricky. It says, your, he, the quote goes like this, your strongest desires are not always your deepest ones. Your strongest desires are not always your deepest ones. Even, I think you see that here, like Peter's desire was hunger. He had real hunger. He needed to eat. But there's a deeper hunger underneath. 
something deeper happening that God wanted to do, a hunger for Peter to catch a glimpse, to catch a vision of what kind of role he wanted Peter to play in his story, to cross ethnic and cultural boundaries, to bring those outside in, all through just a hungry stomach. And the last thing is sending. How different would this story be if Peter has this encounter, he sees these animals come, which were just unclean animals, and there's a bunch of Old Testament laws about not eating those animals. There's, you can ask somebody later about why that is. I don't, there's a million different reasons or thoughts of why that is and why Israelites couldn't eat those animals. That's besides the point. They just were off limits. But he gets this vision and this dream. But then he responds. He's actually sent. God is speaking to us this afternoon but he actually is gonna send us out of this building to actually live those things out. It's not enough just to hear or see a vision or dream of what God might be up to. God actually wants you to do something with it. How different uh, would Kevin and Kari's story be if they heard God's voice, but then did nothing? They didn't actually follow and be sent where God was actually calling them to go. How different would this story be that you and I probably wouldn't be here, followers of Jesus 2,000 years later, if Peter and other disciples weren't faithful to hear God's voice and then to respond in obedience. Setting, sensing, and sending. I'm gonna lead us to the table in just a moment. But let me just give give us some time to respond. Uh, if you have, some of you guys are writing notes or if you just want to sit in silence, I'm just going to give us 60 seconds. I want you to cement what God has been doing over the last 30 minutes. Like, what is he trying to say? Could you, could you cement it into like one sentence or a word or a particular action he's calling you to do? Like, what is that? Get as specific as you can. Jesus, would you cement, would you give us uh, the courage to do whatever you're asking us to do? To know we do not go alone, but we've been sent as a community to embody your ways, even in surprising ways like Peter. That we would see prayer as the primary avenue, the priority, the pathway, the arena in which you want to speak, 
then calls to response. In mundane moments like setting aside a time each day or each week, but also even through our desires and our hungers that manifest who you are and what you're wanting to do. And in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite uh, Brittany and Matthew to come on up. Josh Dern and I are going to be serving you communion. Let me just give you this word about the table we're about to receive. For Peter and for Cornelius, they got a vision. They got a dream. Really, they got some form of a fantasy of which God, what God was doing, but then kind of disappeared. It dissipated. But the good news tonight is that you don't just have a fantasy that God could come or has come in Jesus Christ and die and resurrect. It's not just a dream or a vision. It's actually become a reality that we now get to share in the family feast every week tangible food that we eat to remind us that God doesn't just speak in dreams and visions. He actually comes himself. And Jesus has died and resurrected to offer you new life and to go with you as you're sent into the darkest places of your city. So would you stand with me? As we come and celebrate this feast together as a family embodied in this place, we're going to recite the mystery of our faith. It's going to be on your screen. Let's say this together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Would you come to the table and receive from the King?